all part of the same church, all ages, those guys included. If you got your Bibles, please grab them, go to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40. <coughs> For the sake of time this morning, since we had some extra things going on here, I'm not going to read the passage in its entirety like I usually do at the beginning before we get into it. Um, the passage is somewhat lengthy, and man, is it loaded with awesome reality and description of who our God is. We will read it as we go through it this morning, um, but the nature of this passage, of this chapter, Isaiah 40, um, is that in some ways it, it, the chapter itself is a sermon, and so I really just want to try to stay out of the way this morning and just let let it kind of come forth, I guess. As, as we've been reading the book of Isaiah, you'll find in the book of Isaiah that there's kind of a couple of different perspectives that Isaiah will be speaking from at different times. At times, he's speaking from kind of an autobiographical perspective. So like in Isaiah 6, he says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he's describing an experience that he had. In other places, like in the chapters just previous to this, chapters 38 and 39, it's more of like a historical narrative where he's telling the story um, of Hezekiah or, or whoever he's, he's speaking of and kind of the way things went down. But then there are other places, and this is much of the book of Isaiah, um, like we find here this morning, the majority of this passage, although there's some, a few different perspectives, but the majority of it is it's what you would call a declaration or like an oracle. And primarily verses 9 through 31 of this chapter, you, you see that it's Isaiah speaking, yet you know it's Isaiah speaking, but right behind Isaiah, it's God speaking. And at times, it even kind of weaves in and out of like God speaking directly to the people. So like if you look at verse 18 of Isaiah chapter 40, it says, To whom then will you liken God, or to what likeness will you compare him? That's Isaiah speaking to the people. To whom will you liken God? But if you jump over to verse 25, it's the same thing repeated. And here it's almost like God himself is speaking. Verse 25 says, To whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. And what's cool about this is, is that for the people back then, but very much a direct application for us today, is this is God preaching to us this morning. It's God speaking, yes, through the mouth of Isaiah, but very directly to each one of our hearts. And what he's going to tell us this morning is something that I think um, we can relate to very much in this season that we find ourselves in is right now you see all the Christmas lights and you know we've even got the outhouse decorated on stage here today. Very exciting. Um, but how many of you guys are into Christmas lights? Yeah, how many of you do like, like you're all in like Christmas light, like your house is lit up like you know you can see it from outer space. Anybody? No? You're all into it, you know we got the Christmas lights, you got the Christmas music, Sounds, sight and sounds, drawing your attention um, to something that isn't, isn't usually there. But again, we, we put up those lights, why? So that, and it's kind of a Captain Obvious type thing, but so that you look at them and just enjoy them for what they are. We play the Christmas music just to kind of give us that um, sentimental feeling probably on some level, but for those of us that know Jesus and the songs that we sang this morning, we know that it's more than that. 
It's about worship. But in the same way that we put up lights and play Christmas music to draw our attention intentionally to something else this morning, that's, that's really the, the same thing that's going on here this morning in, in the text, is that the primary commands, and they're, they're two things, but they're accomplishing the same purpose in this text, is it's look and listen. Over and over and over again in this passage, you'll see this command repeated if you were reading this this past week. Look and listen. Let me just point these out quickly and do a survey of it, and then again, we we will read it, and I'll make some comments along the way, but look at verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all all flesh shall see it. Shall see it. Several times in verses 9 and 10. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold, look, it's not just like, when you say behold, it's not just like glance over here, look away, look, behold, verse 10, behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him, again in verse 10, behold, look. his reward is with him, his recompense before him, verse 15, behold, The nations are like a drop in the bucket. Verse 26, lift up your eyes and see. Behold, who created all these things. Look at the commands to listen, or this cry to listen. Verse 3 speaks of a voice crying. Again, in verse 6, a voice says, cry. And Isaiah says, what shall I cry? I read it already in verse 9. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice. Verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? Look, listen. Just like all the lights and all the music that we see in here in this season, but it's not about drawing our attention to just some sort of sentimental feeling that we might have. But God is drawing our attention to himself in order that we might have renewed strength and hope in who, in who he is. This is a beautiful passage of scripture this morning. And again, I just want to read it and make a few comments along the way. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 1. God speaking here. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. This word for, that, that is translated in the ESV here is tenderly. This word in the Hebrew, it appears 583 times throughout the Old Testament. 508 of those 583 times, it is always translated as heart, as heart. And so I understand why they said tenderly here. It's, it's not a, a far stretch, not really wrong in that, but it's quite literally, speak to the heart of Jerusalem. And so understand this morning that In God saying that he wants to speak to their heart, understand that he wants to speak to your heart, and it reveals God's heart. That God wants to speak to the heart of his people. This has always been God's intention. He wants to speak to the heart of his people. He wants her to find comfort. He wants his people, his bride, to find comfort. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, 
that she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. So again, we talked about this last week, kind of a technical thing here, but you've got to get this down in the, in the scope of Isaiah. Isaiah is here prophesying, so he's speaking about something future, and what he's primarily been prophesying throughout the book is that judgment is coming because they have wandered away from their God. And so Isaiah has been prophesying, saying, in the future it's coming, and it's still going to be several decades before the Babylonians come in and they carry off the nation of Judah into captivity. Okay, And that is still future, but yet future beyond that, beyond the captivity, is this time that God is speaking of here specifically to the people that he sees the captivity is coming, and that's just, and that's right, because they have disobeyed him, and they have not listened to him, yet he's also looking beyond the captivity, and he's already saying to them, I want to comfort you. Folks, God allows difficult things in our life, and and hear me, when he allows difficult things in our life, it's not because we're always under discipline. Sometimes he just allows trials to come into our life for our good, because he's refining us, as gold is refined in the fire, the Bible says. But sometimes he does allow discipline in the lives of his people. In fact, one of the marks of being a true child is that you will be disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this very clearly. But God here, when he he does that and when he allows it, you see this, this is all yet future. Both the the, the exile that's coming, the discipline that's coming, and also the comfort that he wants to bring on on the back end of it. It's not because he's mean. It's not because he's out to get anybody. But he's trying to draw our attention to him, to come to him, to believe him, to trust him, to look at him, to listen to him. And he wants to speak to our hearts and he wants us to understand that he loves us and that he cares for us. And so this is God's heart that he wants to speak to the heart of his people. So how does he do this? Verses 3 through 5. Then it says, a voice cries. And again, Isaiah is somehow in prophesying this. He, he sees some of these big markers throughout time that are coming. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that the prophets searched and inquired carefully. Searching and inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. In other words, they, they saw kind of dimly as in a mirror what was coming, and here Isaiah prophesies this. He says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven places shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now we know that this is a prophecy very specifically about a very specific person, John the Baptist. This passage, Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, it is quoted or referred to in every single one of the four Gospels, referring to John the Baptist. And so I want you to connect these dots here, though, although back in Isaiah's day they didn't, they didn't fully get this, and God, the good news was there, but we see it more fully now on this side of the cross. But God begins to speak of wanting to comfort his people, and so then who does he begin to speak of right after that, through Isaiah? John the Baptist. And what was John the Baptist's job? Make straight the way of the Lord. Here comes Jesus. John the Baptist's ministry lasted for about six to nine months before Jesus came on the scene. And so God, in wanting to comfort his people, you can see Isaiah doing it here in in this prophetic way. That if we want to find comfort, folks, we got to look to Jesus. It's not in any other name. It's in him. As I think Taylor read this morning... You know, I I forget exactly how he worded that from that book from Sinclair Ferguson that... um, 
Christmas was always about the cross, ultimately. And not just about the cross, but about the resurrection. The Christmas ultimately was about Easter, the day that we celebrate Christ's resurrection. And so you have this prophecy here of John the Baptist, although they don't maybe know that then, but we know that now, that there was going to be a voice that comes saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And then in verse 6, you have a different voice. But again, another voice. Listen. Verse 6, a voice says, cry. And Isaiah says, what shall I cry? So here's kind of what's going on. We don't know exactly who this voice is. It may have been God. It may have been some sort of angelic being. I tend to think it was some sort of angelic being in heaven. You see this exact same thing often in the book of Revelation, where John is having his great vision. He's kind of caught up to heaven. And many times throughout the book of Revelation, John will say, and I heard a voice say, and then he would, they would say something, and John would write it down. And it's kind of a, a similar idea here, is that Isaiah says, I heard a voice say, cry. And Isaiah says, what? What should I cry? Listen to what heaven tells him to cry out, because heaven is crying this out. Here's what heaven says, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the grass. Everything that man has to offer, it's like grass, and even the very best of things that man has to offer, the best of, of sentimental holiday feelings and wreaths and decorations and Christmas lights, and I'm not against any of it, but it's all grass, and all the glory of it is just like the flower of the grass. And heaven is crying this out. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Sharp contrast. That man and all that man has to offer at his absolute best, it is only like the flower of the grass. It is not going to last but the word of God, it will never fail. Amen? It will never fail. God's word is always true. And again, don't miss it here. Heaven is crying this. The nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, they're a mess. Why are they a mess? Because they've forgotten this. They have looked to man to save them. They have looked to man to deliver them from the problems that man have created. It's crazy. Our sin is insanity. The fact that we look to ourselves to deliver us from the mess that we ourselves have made, that doesn't work, amen? And heaven is crying out, all flesh is grass, all its glory is like the flower of the grass, but God's word will never fail. We must look to God's word. And so now, Verses 6 through 8, they kind of serve as a little bit of an outline for the rest of the passage because now what we're going to do it, throughout the rest of the passage here, what, what Isaiah does, what God is saying is it's divided into these two categories, these categories of the description of our almighty God whose word never fails and a description of man who all, in all of his glory is only like a flower of the grass that could disappear in an instant. And he starts with the description of of God and who he is, whose word never fails. This is the one whose word never fails. Verse 9, he says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. And again, he's, he's, Isaiah is saying this from God to the people. 
He's saying, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Why are you in despair? Lift up your voice with strength, herald of good news. God's people were to be a herald of good news, a light to the nations. Same thing as the church today. But just like back then, we don't always do that because we get our eyes on other things instead of on our great and glorious, almighty, powerful God. God says, lift up your voice, my people, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, say to those that are listening, behold your God. This is what we are to say as his people. We are to call the nations around us to behold our God. The church, we're not here to entertain people. We're not here to put on a show. We're not here to be cute. We're not here just to give you a few nice little life application leadership principles or nice little cliches that you can hang on your wall or on your coffee mug. As the people of God, we are here to stand up and to call people to look to him. The only one who can save them. And God have mercy on us. That primarily as a church in the West, that we have not done this. We have called the nations around us in a watching world to look at the grass and to look at the glory of the flower of the grass. Look at all that we can do. Look at all the things that we can accomplish. And it is nothingness. And it's why the people of God went into captivity back then. And it's why so many people live in captivity today. Is because we do not for ourselves, look at our God, behold our God, and we don't call others to do it. Behold your God, verse 10, behold, the Lord comes with might, his arm rules for him, listen to God, preach to us this morning. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. The, is that the, the, uh, the picture here in verse 10, you're going to get several pictures that you don't think go together here in the next couple of verses, just kind of machine gun style, coming out very quickly. But they all describe our God. The first one here in verse 10 is that he is the righteous judge, the righteous vindicator. He is righteous in bringing his reward, and he is righteous in bringing his recompense, which is the idea of his payment, his righteous judgment against those who do evil. He is the righteous judge, yet, verse 11, he's the gentle shepherd. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Verse 12 now, he's the eternal sovereign creator. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? All the waters of all the ocean. It's just a little bit of water in God's hand that he just, whoop, he just dumped it out. Nothing for him. And he marked off the heavens with a span. I'll put this star here. Boop. I'll put this star over here. Boop. He calls each one by name. He enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and he weighed out the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance. He's the righteous judge. He's the gentle shepherd. He's the eternal eternal, sovereign creator, and he is the essence of wisdom. He does not gain wisdom. He doesn't go somewhere to look for wisdom like we do. He is the source of all wisdom. Verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? 
Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? They are rhetorical questions. And the answer to every one of them is nobody. Nobody taught him anything. He is the source of all wisdom, of all understanding. He has all power. He has all might. And the same hands that hollowed out the waters of the sea are the same hands that are gentle enough to hold little baby sheep. Behold your God. There's nobody like you. Nobody. And our hearts should be grieved when we try to explain him as something less than what he is. Amen? Because there's nobody like him. This is just a brief description of God in heaven declaring who he is. This is why his word will never fail. It's why his promises are always true. Because there's nobody like him. He never lies. But now let's talk about us. Remember us? The grass. The best of what we are. It's the flower of the grass. Verse 15. Behold, look. Look to me first. Verses 9 and 10. Now look at you. Look at us. Look at me. Look at the nations around us. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Boop. One little drop. That's us. That's the sound a drop makes, in case you didn't know. The nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up all the coastlands like fine dust, all the sand on all the seas everywhere. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. Lebanon was known for its giant cedar trees. Think of the sequoias out in California. Not enough there for fuel before God. Nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Verse 17 all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. And yet, we know, as was already stated in this prophetic way that isn't maybe, is a little bit more of a shadow in verses 3 through 5 and then all the other places in the scripture, we know that although the nations are less than nothing, that God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would simply believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And folks, there, you, you see this all over in the scripture, but let me just park here for just a second and just say it as adamantly as I possibly can. And for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, you've heard me say this before. <clears throat> but you completely flip grace and the gospel on its head. 
when you make statements like, and I'm just going to call him out here, but Todd White, who's a complete heretic, false teacher in our day. And people in our area are gobbling him up all over. He's a complete heretic. He's a wolf. But he'll say things like this all the time, and many other false teachers will say things like this with him. Is that you are so valuable, you are worth so much, that God bankrupted heaven just to get you. That completely flips grace on its head. There was nothing in you, there was nothing in me, there was nothing in us that was worthy of the blood of Christ. But God, in his love, although all the nations are simply a drop in the bucket and are less than nothing, in his love, because it's who he is, he chose to love us anyway. That's grace. Let's get it straight. Amen? We have preached a me-centered, man-centered, self-absorbed, narcissistic gospel. And it isn't really a gospel. There's only one gospel. Not that there is another one, as Paul says in Galatians. Paul says in Galatians, if I or any man preaches another gospel, even an angel from heaven, if they preach to you another gospel, let him be accursed. God is God, man is nothing, but God is gracious. And he chooses to love his rebellious creation who is created, who, who is committed treason by living in sin and not obeying him. And Jesus came to ransom such, such wretched creatures as us if we just simply trust in him. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare him? And listen to the, listen to the holy sarcasm here in verses 19 and 20. Again, this is God speaking here. He goes, an, an idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who, is, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. So God's saying, like, idolatry? <laughs> and again, back in this day, you, they would actually physically make these idols. And so you, what you wanted to do is you wanted to find a good idol maker. And so you would go to get a really nice piece of wood, choose some fine wood, to take to the idol maker, the wood that God created, the idol maker that God created, the man that God created. And then you take it to him and you want a good idol because you don't want an idol that you're going to worship and then every time people come into your home they see that your idol like, kind of like it wasn't even and so it just kind of fell over. And that's kind of the emphasis here when he says a, you get a skillful craftsman, verse 20, to set it up that it will not move. Because you don't want a bad one. You want a good one. Make sure your little idol is setting up straight. And again, we, we say, ah, oh, these foolish people making little idols. Folks, do we not do this all the time? Do we not look to things and stuff to make us happy, to bring us joy? Do we not look to people to try to rescue us? Do we not look to people to try to satisfy us? Behold your God. Verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? 
Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of, of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. So we're grass, we're like, maybe the best of us, the, the, the flower of the grass. We're a drop in the bucket, we are dust on the scales. We are nothing before him, we are less than nothing in emptiness. And if you're like, that offends me, well now you're a grasshopper. grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings the princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. I don't care if it's Joe Biden. I don't care if it's Donald Trump. I don't care if it was Barack Obama or George W. Bush. I don't care if you think it's the Democratic Party or if you think it's the Republican Party nothingness. All of the rulers to emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. All mankind, like grasshoppers and stubble. And again, I think if we're honest, there's a part of each one of us that goes, my goodness, it's a little bit offensive, is it not? How dare he call me a grasshopper? Folks, in God telling us here, remember, go back to the beginning, to first look at him, behold him, and then behold us, he is working for our joy. He is working for our comfort. There is an unbelievable joy that comes if God in his mercy and grace grants you the, the ability to be able to obey these verses and to get your eyes off of you. There is a joy like no other that comes when we stop trying to be in control and we stop trying to make it all about us and we get our eyes on him. So he's going to come back again and again he's going to kind of finish up his sermon here. And it's basically like a summary. Like every preacher does. You tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. If you wonder what I do every week, that's what it is. I shouldn't have told you that, it's my secret. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, then tell them what you told them. That's what God does. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Again, lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these things? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because of his strong power, not one is missing. Listen, I, well, I'm going to say it. Like, folks, you see the insanity of us not looking to our God all over 
Again, get your theology and then connect it to life. Climate change. Folks, we're going to be okay until Jesus says we're not going to be okay. Right? He upholds all things by his powerful word. If a little bit of ice is melting around the polar ice caps, it's okay. Jesus has it. Verse 27, sorry. <laughs> why, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded before my God. Here's what Jacob was saying. In his rebellion, in God's people's rebellion, as things were going badly because they were disobeying him, they would say, God doesn't see me. God doesn't care. My way is hidden from him. He, he has no regard for me. And God says, why do you say that? Why do you say that your way is hidden from me? I made you. It's not the issue at all. It's our sin. That make, it's like a cloud that comes over the bright sun, and we, don't, we feel like it's not there, but he, it hasn't gone anywhere. God hasn't changed at all. Verse 28, again, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Sometimes we think God doesn't see me because he's just gotten weary. He's gotten weary. Maybe, it's, maybe you think he's gotten weary of your sin. Maybe you think he, he's gotten weary and tired of you coming to him again and again for the same things. He doesn't get tired, folks. <laughs> he doesn't get wore out. We can come to him again and again and again and again and again. And every time, his strength is only glorified because he never gets weary of us. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Verse 29, what a wonderful promise. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Who does it please God to impart his power to? Those that have no power. Who does God work mightily to rescue? Those who are in bondage. Those who need rescued. And this is why it's so foolish to lie. It's why it's so foolish to pretend like everything's okay. Because if you're saying that you're okay, then you're pulling yourself out of the category of the people that get God's help. Those who get God's help, those who get his strength, are those who are weak, those who are faint, those who have no strength. <coughs> and then these last couple verses that probably everybody has on a coffee mug somewhere at home. Even youths shall faint and be weary. So youths, you know, you look, at, <laughs> you look at those kids that were out here and what do we say a lot of times when they're just going, 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 man, if I just had a little bit of that energy, right? If I just had a little bit of that. God says, man, even youths get tired and weary. And young men 
shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, and that word wait, that, that's what the ESV says. Other English translations translate it as hope, those who hope in the Lord. And the reason they do that is because it's, it's hard to find just one English word to translate this rightly. It's, but it's the idea of waiting with expectation, waiting with hope. So if you don't have strength this morning, what should you do? Wait with hope. Wait with hope. When you don't feel it right away, what should you continue to do? Wait with hope. Wait with hope for the Lord. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This imagery here, um, of this eagle flying. Again, there's a lot of poetic imagery here. But why can birds or eagles fly and we can't? They have wings, right? What do those wings help them do? Those wings help them to transcend the law of gravity. So when I say transcend, let's talk about the word transcendence for a minute here as we wrap up. If I had to pick one word, I think, to talk about how God is described in this chapter, I would say he's transcendent. In other words, he's not, he doesn't fit into our laws of nature. He's over them. He transcends them. He's above them. Um, and our transcendent God wants to give transcendent strength to his people. And this imagery here of, of the bird, there, there's two laws at work, okay, in flight. You have the law of gravity, okay, which all of us experience regularly, yes? So if you go and, you know, jump out of the balcony, illustration, illustration purposes only, okay? If you were to jump out of the balcony, you know, it's not going to go well for you. The law of gravity would take over and you would fall. Eagles, however are not just subject to the law of gravity, but because they have wings, they're subject to another law, the law of aerodynamics. And the law of aerodynamics transcends the law of gravity, right? That's why they can fly. And this promise here is incredible. That if you lack strength, and again, sometimes it happens fairly quickly, sometimes it happens, it takes a while, but if you'll just keep waiting with hope and with expectation, he will give you strength to transcend all the gravity, all the weight, all the muck and mire of this world and to live above it, not in your strength, but in his. And he will be glorified as the one who gives that strength to those who wait with hope upon him. This happens in different ways in different times and places in our life on kind of the big historical scale. Um, again, in Isaiah's time, it's, it's a dark time. They're feeling the gravitational pull of all the weight and sin and rebellion of the long history of the people of Israel, even after God delivered them out of Egypt. But they're looking for this Messiah they're looking for this Redeemer. They're looking for this Jesus who is to come that we're celebrating, especially this time of year. And the Bible says that, and I think I believe it's Galatians 4.4, 4, 
I love this little phrase. It says, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might save those who lived under the law and let them experience the adoption as sons. That in just the right time, when we were still weak, while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us. That we might have hope, that we might transcend all the nastiness that our sin has created. So in that historical perspective, it's true. But I just want to say this too. Is that this morning, I would not doubt at all. In fact, I would probably say that all of us in some way. There is something in our life that we're waiting on God for. And hear me. I don't know specifically how he's going to do it. I don't know if he's going to heal it. I don't know if he's going to supernaturally provide for it. I don't know what he's going to do. But in some way, shape, or form, if you will just continue to wait with hope and with expectation, folks, he has an answer. I don't know what the answer will be for sure. You don't know what it will look like for sure. But this, this hope this, this, that, that he offers here, this promise of strength when you feel weak and exhausted, it's very real. It's not just some pretend fairy tale thing. He still lives, he's risen to give strength to his people. And that promise is yours this morning if you'll just believe him and wait with expectation and hope. Let me invite the worship team up and we'll close. Um, Where do you most need to look and listen this morning? Probably both. You probably need to look at your God. But do you need to also look at you? Maybe your eyes have been a little too much on you and you need to get them on your God. But maybe you need to take a good hard look at you this morning as well too. Not just you, but mankind in general. And remember what God says about us. That he loves us. Oh, he loves us. but we're very tiny. (laughs) And he's very big. And I pray that as we close here, and as I close in prayer in just a second, that the Holy Spirit would help you these moments that we have together and as we go from this place. To look and to listen, to focus, to give attention to your God, to who he is. Because there is nobody like him. There is nobody like him. Father, I ask this morning that as we look at this beautiful passage of scripture this morning, I just pray 
And Lord, you know we prayed this morning and I've been praying as I'm up here today. Just that this passage would be real. That your Holy Spirit would do what he does and you just you would make this word come alive. To those that are here this morning and they're weak, they lack strength. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would truly feel and know your strength in a new and profound way. Father, for all of us, not just as individuals, not just as a church, but God, I know we're just a little group here in the middle of Amish country, but God, truly, as in, we just repent as a people of this nation for not fixing our eyes on you, not beholding our God, but always looking to man to try to fix everything. Lord, we, we love you. I thank you for sending your son. I thank you that in the fullness of time, just right when you chose to do so, you sent him, born of a woman, born under the law, to save those who were condemned by the law. Father, we pray for salvation. We pray for salvation this morning for anybody who's here and does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, I pray that you would lay hold of their hearts. And I pray that they would turn to you and that they would trust you right where they sit, right now. That your promise stands that all those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Lord, we pray that we as your people, as the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, we pray that we would get ourselves up on a high mountain and that we would live our life on mission, that we would live every day saying to everyone that we meet, behold your God. Not calling them to look at us, not trying to just give a flower of the field, the things that man can give, but to point them to you. Father, I just want to thank you. I know we're, I think we got one more Sunday here, Lord, before the end of this year. But Father, as another year comes to a close, I just want to say with all my heart, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being good. Lord, this week, as you know, there's going to be a lot of presents opened, and you know, I know it's a little cliche thing to say, but Father, truly, in the midst of all the, the trappings of this season and all the all the wrapping paper and all the gifts and all the bows and all the ribbons, Father, please. Endow us as your people with a fresh wave of thankfulness for all that you have done and all that you will continue to do because you never lie. The word of the Lord stands forever. And we thank you for that, Father. Jesus, I love you so much. Thank you for being a good Savior. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. You guys stand with me, please.